Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. Good morning. It's great uh, to be together today and certainly want to uh, lend my voice to say a happy Mother's Day to all the moms. I get to do a particular shout out today. I get to say happy birthday or happy birthday. It's been my wife's birthday. Like we're celebrating that still. Um, But uh, happy birthday to my mom, my mother-in-law, my wife, and also to my daughter uh, who will uh, be... uh, a new mom sometime in the next uh, month and a half, and you'll be hearing lots about that, I'm sure, pretty soon. So yeah, it's kind of cool. We're excited. Thank you. Uh, Going to be a granddaddle. That's kind of weird. Um, so when we, we think about, we're, we're in this series, and there, there's a lot to do with, um, you know, even, even motherhood and what it means and, and parents and generations. All this is going to see, we're going to see this uh, entangled uh, today in how we look and approach uh, the Bible, but I want us to be like really focused on um, what we're doing and what we feel like God is asking of us um, in this season. And some of the questions that were uh, on the screen as we were kind of coming out um, is that you know the, the idea is why is it that we read the Bible? Like what is it that you expect to get when you open up your Bible and read? And all of us, I think, would say you know depending on how uh, disciplined you are or undisciplined you are, how consistent you are, how un- inconsistent you are, uh, most of us come to the to, to the scriptures and we're looking for something, some measure of hope, some measure of something. And so I wanted to to take a minute because what we're going to learn and see is the Bible is very complex. The reality is the more I've looked and studied and wrestled. Um, the more I've realized that there is a complexity to the scriptures. Um, and so I don't want to, I don't want to sort of pretend there's not, but I also don't want to uh, end up being so discouraging. Well, unless you like know Hebrew and Greek and all the other languages, you really can't ever figure this out because that's untrue also. And so I want to encourage everyone who has been reading or has read or who reads the Bible, you just open it up and you say, God, can you speak to me? And you read. I want you to be incredibly encouraged. In fact, I was working on this particular section of the message this past week, and I'd just written that actual paragraph. And because I, the actual last sentence is, this is all a part of the process by which we learn to read. Just to begin reading is the process by which we learn to read. And a friend of mine, Greg, called me, and he said he wanted to share a story with me. He called me, and I, I answered the phone, and we've been playing phone tag And he talked about his own journey of reading the Bible. And he said for the last, I don't remember how many years it was, I wrote it down, I was just taking notes as he was talking to me. But he was, um, he'd been reading the Bible and he had focused on five particular passages over a very long period of time. He didn't didn't worry about trying to read the whole Bible in a year. He didn't worry about trying to understand. He just read there were five passages, Romans, section out of Romans 5, Romans 8, some other places around the scriptures. Um, the two prayers of Paul in Ephesians. And he just read them over and over and over and over and over again. And what he said to me was, Mike, I stopped trying to read the Bible and started learning how to commune with God. And what I want to tell you, the reason I want to tell you this is because what God honors is not how smart you are, how intellectual you are, how much you know, how spiritual you are. He honors your faith. When you approach him and say, God, can you speak to me? And you read and you believe and you trust and you hope. That's what God honors. That's where he meets us. 
So I want you to feel very encouraged in that. And then I want to just continue to journey through us together as we learn together, as we learn together. Um, it's why we've been saying, right, that, um, and, and there, again, there are places where you just read the Bible, you memorize the Bible, you chew on it. And that was a lot of my journey. When, we, when we, Greg and I were talking, I was like, that's actually my journey. Um, there, were, there were years and years and years where I read very, very limited sections of the scriptures because it was all I could sort of grab and chew on and hold on to. And God used that. And he used it, it as all a part of how we become and how we learn and how we are, will continue. To I often joke, people ask me um, if I read. I read now and I read a lot now. Um, but I didn't learn to read till I was about 40 years old, 41 years old. So I've been reading about 10 years. So it's kind of exciting. And for some of you, you just kind of gave up on it. And you just, you just stay after. There's, there's just a whole world um, that's going to unfold. But part of this is why I believe we just need to say this again. The most important idea regarding the way we relate to the Bible isn't what we read, but it's what the Spirit says to us. It's what God has to say. It's us communing with Him and hearing from Him. And in order for us to do that, right, we, 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 it requires us to do more than just read. We have to hear God's voice. We have to enter in and we have to listen. So I want to ask you again, what is it or why is it that you read? All of us bring a particular perspective to what we read. So we're going to take today, we're going to do it in two places. We're going to look in Jeremiah uh, chapter 29, which is the home of the most famous favorite verse in the Bible. You know this, right? And I want to be really careful because that verse has been useful for a lot of people, for God to encourage them. That's totally great. We're just going to kind of back up and layer in what it looks like and how we might see something different um, today. But part of what happens to us is when we read the Bible, whenever you read the Bible, you're going to be looking at it through a particular lens that may be, um, you may even be unaware of. You're looking for God to do something for you. You're looking for God to prove a point that you have. You're looking for some, all kinds of reasons and ways in which, but the reality is there's always this underlying sort of perspective that frames the way in which we read the Bible. And sometimes it's really helpful. And sometimes it actually keeps us from seeing what it is that God wants us to see. Uh, part of my disciplines uh, have been over the last few years is I read uh, more widely than I used to. Um, I read people, and, and, and there are times when I will cite someone that I, that I will quote that I think is a really, really important thing for us to process, that I do, do not necessarily agree with everything that they say, or the premise that there are books that I think that are really, really good books that I do not agree with. So I've, I've learned to sort of read widely, um, and it's been a long journey for me, because there are times when I'd pick up a book, and I'd read like the first two pages, and I wanted to throw it through a window, if you ever felt like that. This person's such an idiot, right? You want to, um, and I've, I've calmed down and I've learned that just because, you know, so we're working on this. I've also learned to read more diverse, more diverse voices. Uh, this includes minority voices, women, a lot of folks that just aren't, aren't sort of prevalent in theological writings. And one of the books I've uh, found and discovered recently is a book by Esau Macaulay called Reading While Black. It's a fantastic uh, exploration into perspective I'm reading the Bible, and he records this story in there. It's a young man who, uh, his grandmother was a slave in the United States of America. And um, when uh, he was, uh, had the opportunity to speak with her and spend a lot of time with her post-emancipation, and they were free and living uh, 
uh, in uh, the South still. And part of what she wanted is for her grandson to read the Bible to her. And so she would read the Bible, read the Gospels. And every time she began to get to the letters of Paul, she would say, skip that. Read something else. And for a long time, he just did. And one day he had the courage to kind of ask, said, Mom, you know, Grandma, um, when, when, you, know, you, you let me read the Bible to you, but when you get to these places where the letters of Paul, you always tell me to skip them as their reason. And what she said is that during the days of slavery, um, the slaves were allowed to have church services, but it was always preached by a white minister who usually came in and used one of the texts from one of the letters of Paul that talked about slaves being obedient to your masters and to show them how it was God's wills that they were slaves and if they were good and happy slaves that somehow God would bless them. And she said this, I came to understand, she said, I promised my maker that if I ever learned to read and if the freedom ever came, I would never again read that part of the Bible. My point is this, all of us can understand that. Everybody here can go, oh yeah, I would feel like that too. If something was used in a way to continue to harm or harsh or to, uh, to oppress, we would, we would say, once we're, once we're away from it, we're never gonna do that again. We would frame the way we saw the rest of the Bible. And this happens to us all of the time. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna build some context today. And we're gonna begin and kind of look at this. And a lot of people have this verse on coffee mugs, they don't put the verse before it on the coffee mug, but they put this verse on coffee mugs, on cross stitches, on Instagram posts, all kinds of things. Jeremiah 29, 11, it feels like it's the speech for graduation. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to do what? Prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and to give you a future. And my question is, what do you see when you read that? What do you see? It makes you feel good. Right? More than likely, you see a promise. Prosperity. Check. That sounds good. Hope, future, to be unharmed. This all sounds really good to us. And what begins to happen to us is we take this sort of promise and we overlay this and we first and foremost make it sort of an individual promise. It's a promise to me. And it's a promise maybe perhaps to sort of my tribe, my little group of people who usually all agree with me and who perhaps all look like me. But it's a promise to me and my tribe to give us a hope and a future. And of course, it's somewhere out here. But what we typically think is that somehow that when this process happens, right, the world will finally be as it should be. As this is sort of how we think about this promise. Plans to give me a hope in the future means that my, my world is going to look well. But this promise is usually framed very individualistically. And it's also sort of, and this is, this is without even trying to do this. It's framed individualistically and it's also typically framed with some kind of um, circumstantial dependence. In order for you to be prosperous and not to be harmed, it means you have to be you know, healthy, wealthy, and wise. And that's all nice until something happens. 
Or it's all nice until you just peek just a little bit further than your own little tribe and you realize that there are a lot of people in our circles or just outside of our circles that struggle desperately, that have horrible things happening. They're living in really difficult things, uh, really difficult circumstances. And so we have to sort of back up. And what you do um, real quickly, if you peel back just one verse, you'll see this. This is what the Lord says. You don't really see this on the coffee mugs. Um, Because... Basically, God had promised uh, the opportunity for Israel to return, but if they did not return to his ways, to acknowledging him as God, he was going to remove um, the protection and they would be invaded from the north and taken into captivity. That's what was going on in Jeremiah. So verse 10, right before verse 11, it says, this is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come when you've, been in, when you've been in captivity for 70 years, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to the place where you belong. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope, give you a future. Sounds a little bit different, doesn't it? So if we just have to keep sort of backing up and backing up and backing up. This is not a tweet, nor is it a motivational quote. It's not even a promise for you or for me to make us believe that we will finally get what we're after. But it's a part of God's story. It's a part of God's love. It's a part of God's pursuit. It's a part of God's promise for redemption. So we've been talking about this, right? Second Timothy, this idea that the scriptures God breathed, even using this, it says, but as for you, Timothy, I want you to continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know from whom you have learned it. And you know how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, that they are able to make one wise, you wise, for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. They, he knows that there's something about this. It's, 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 it requires us, we're going to spend some time uh, in this series talking about this, it requires us to read this and understand this collectively, to know who it is that we are learning from, to learn how to trust and to understand salvation and deliverance. And so for those of you who are kind of new to this, um, we're using this statement to talk about what we believe and what we say about the Bible, and that is this, that the Scriptures, well, it goes on and it says, all Scriptures God breathed. It is profitable, beneficial, useful for teaching, uh, for correction or rebuke, for correction and training and righteousness, and so that, um, that the servant of God will be able, right, to fulfill everything that God has for them. So there's a usefulness to this as we enter in. And we've been saying this and for the last few weeks. We're going to continue to say this. The Bible is a collection of writings. It's a collection of writings that reveal God's love, reveal God's pursuit, and his promise of redemption. And so I'm just going to put this at the top because I want to, I want to be reminded of this. Uh, I'm going to start back here. It's God's love. It's God's pursuit. And ultimately, God's promise of redemption or to return. God breathed and sovereignly preserved, which we looked at a little bit more in the last couple of weeks. The Bible reveals to us who God is and what God has to say, ultimately pointing us to Jesus Christ as our clearest revelation of God. So thinking about that, that it's his clearest revelation of God, thinking about what we know on the other side of the cross I want us to talk about the journey through Jeremiah. There's a progression in the way Jeremiah is preserved. And what I do, and I've I've shared this before, but I take, and I've got a notebook 
um, from about nine years ago, maybe, 10, maybe longer than that. Gosh, it's probably been 12 years ago. I read through Jeremiah. I think it's 52 chapters. Uh, let me find it. I read through Jeremiah, and, um, uh, and I took a notebook, and I just read one chapter, and then I wrote down what I thought about that chapter. Yes, 52 chapters. I wrote down what I thought about Jeremiah, uh, whatever chapter I read. And it was so interesting because most of it is just like two sentences. I have no idea what this is. And I just did this over and over. I just tried to understand Jeremiah years ago. So you read it once and you kind of understand parts of it. You read it again, you understand a little bit more of it. You just have to stay after it. You read it with people who you're learning from and people who you're asking questions of. And all these kinds of things are happening. And then what I'll do a lot of times is I'll take and I'll print it out. Uh, and I share this, I print it on cards. Like, this is Jeremiah chapter 25 through 31. And this has the new covenant. It also has the passage we're looking at uh, today. And it's in there. What you begin to notice is, is several things that are really interesting. Um, the accusation that Jeremiah comes, he's, it's, there's, a, there's a narrative, there's a prophetic arc, the way these stories were told. And there's a narrative to deliverance and salvation, which is important because one of the things the scriptures do for us is they make us wise to understand our salvation. So if there's an arc or a narrative of salvation, you want to be able to look and see and understand what that is for your own. So you, so you can say, okay, this is what it means to me. And what you begin to find is that in here, um, Jeremiah comes to the people of Israel and he says, you've neither listened nor have you inclined your ears to hear what God says. You're just ignoring him. And if you continue to do this, if you keep reading, he talks about the fact that um, he's going to allow, he's going to just sort of remove the restraints of King Nebuchadnezzar. He's coming, going to take over Israel. And you guys are going to be taken into captivity uh, for 70 years is what he mentions. He calls it the cup of the Lord's wrath. He goes on and they just continue to ignore. In fact, what happens is Jeremiah is telling them this is going to happen if you don't return. There's a whole other group of prophets are going, no, it's not. God says peace. God says peace. I know the plans I have, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. God's promised peace. And Jeremiah's going, no, he hasn't. You know what they did to Jeremiah? You know what they did to someone who they disagree with? They tried to cancel him. Can you imagine that? They tried to shut Jeremiah up so that all the voices that they wanted to hear could be sort of prominent. And God even says, don't, don't listen to these voices. This goes on and on and on until finally they're pulled into captivity. And Jeremiah 29 is actually uh, a letter to those who are held in captivity, to the exiles, to those who've been taken away from the place they belong and they're having to live in another place. What you notice a lot of times in and these, these prophetic narratives and these, these, these sort of storylines is that it talks about how we understand our own salvation. So listen to this. Here's what, here's what you need to understand. Salvation, your salvation, my salvation, God's salvation for us transforms us personally. That should be happening. You should be different in terms of what God is doing in you. But also what happens is he puts us together in this collection and this community, a people of God, which we've been talking about. He's building a house. Remember from a couple weeks ago? He's building a house, or last week actually. It seems like a couple weeks ago. And the way in which we live as this people affects the way in which we live in the world around us. And it ultimately undermines the systems, the systems that, of the world that continue to sort of oppress and divide into all the things the things that sort of wear us out, and we see this all the time in our culture, that wear us out, 
Um, and they divide us and ultimately leading us to sort of these violent responses to one another and to the world around us. And this progression, when you begin to read all of, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all these, the narrative sort of arcs in a way, it's, it's you and me, then it sort of undermines these systems and there's ultimately the overturning of all evil, where the things that destroy us are finally destroyed. This is culminated in Revelation, by the way. I've been reading Revelation a lot. That should bother you, like, oh my gosh, Mike's gone off the deep end. Um, but there's reasons why, because it follows a lot of these same patterns. I was reading this book this week, a friend of mine, he wrote these words. He said, the cross, because what Jesus does, when you say Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God, you take what, God, what we know about God in Jesus, or we know about, yeah, God in Jesus, and we put that forward, and we see everything else through that lens. And he says this, the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ, inspires us, because it's a model of what love looks like for us to give ourselves and to sacrifice ourselves. The cross inspires us to follow the way of Jesus that will inevitably bring the healing to the whole world. That's the promise. That's what's given to us in the Scripture. It will inevitably heal the cosmos. But that way, the way that happens isn't because he wears a magic wand or comes in with a sword and wipes out everybody who disagrees with us. The way that it happens, it is embodied in specific communities and in circumstances, which is why a story that ends with the destruction of evil has to begin in localized expressions of good. That's what we do. That's what we bring. That's what we're supposed to be about. This, 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 this personal effect of your salvation and mine, to understand it according to what the Scriptures reveal to us, Plays itself out, not in, it's, and this is, and, and some of you, you're, you're so politically minded, and that's not wrong or bad. I'm not saying anything negative about it, but it just is how you see the world. It's how you see the world. And so you're going to read and hear what I even say today, and it's going to push on you, and that's what I want, because that's what I want you to hear what God has to say, not what Mike thinks about something. It's not what Fox News thinks or CNN thinks or anybody in between. It's what does God have to say and how, you, how are you and I? And more importantly, how are we, how are we going to navigate and live in this? Our vision of redemption often looks very different than God's. Because we, we want God to build a world that we'll belong to, that we can belong to. You know what God's doing? He's building a people that belong to him. And those are two very different things. So this, this is what we're looking at. So I want you to see this. So imagine your, your village has been ransacked and you have been, you're not a refugee. You are captive. You are pulled out and taken into the city. Think Daniel. Remember the, the book of Daniel written? Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel not eating the food. All those things. This is all this same story. So the, 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 the Bible's pretty cool. Like, it's got some really cool stuff. So there's a, there's a pattern to this. And so Jeremiah's writing this letter to people who've been taken away from their homes, and they're living in a land that they don't belong to. And they're going to be there for generations. And here's what he says. Jeremiah chapter 29, starting in verse 4. 
This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all of those that I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And so you would at that point in time, pull your pen out and your journal and say, tell me what we're supposed to do. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in your number there and do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city that you are held captive within. Those are my words. Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city uh, to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you also will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to their dreams and the uh, dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name, for I have not sent them. For when the 70 years is over, I will fulfill the promise and return you to the land for which you belong. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. This is the picture. So I want, I want us to think about our own lives in this. And then we're going to flip over and we're going to read, um, continue our reading in 2 Peter as we kind of read together, or 1 Peter, and hear what the Lord wants to say to us today. But the first thing he says in this is that as exiles, as those who don't belong here, what does he tell us to do? To settle in. Build houses. Make a, make a domain for yourself. Exercise dominion. Steward. Rule. Contribute. How? As those who belong to the Lord, not to the world. So how do we, how do we, what does this mean for us? This is, this is, these are all patterns we're being, we are being given. It's very, it's very important. Like, let, let me just, let's just, let's just do this. We're going to just turn with that, with that sort of picture to build, to plant, to seek the welfare of the city. I want us just to read this and I want us to read this with a posture that just says, Lord, could you speak to us? Some of what you're going to read today is going to be a little bit bothersome to you and you're going to be very quick to dismiss it because you don't think it applies today. And what I want to ask you to do is just to say, Lord, what do you have to say in this? Can you help make me wise into my own salvation, into my own deliverance? Can you use me as I become a part of this voice to bring about your sense of shalom in the world around us? The idea is to settle in, to cooperate, to participate. Make no mistake about it. I don't have time to get into it. All I'm going to say is this. I'm not. <laughs> what I want you to consider is this. That everything that you do matters. Everything that you do matters. Every time you extend a service to someone, even if it's for pay, serve them coffee, fix a problem in their home or some kind of maintenance or their car, 
or if you employ people and you pay people and you give them the dignity of a job or you interact with someone in a meeting or you're a politician or all these things, everything that you do matters because it's creating and causing and bringing something to bear on the world around us. And how we do this requires tremendous discernment on our part, but it requires us to have a mindset that most of us are very unfamiliar with. The reason that we read Jeremiah the way that we do is because of our perspective. We read Jeremiah 29, 11, hoping that God will make us, make the world a place where we can belong. The world is a place that God longs to redeem, to be an inhabitant of the people that belong to him. And it's, it's different. So here's what the letter of Simon Peter says to us. Remember, this is the same people that did last week in Acts with the dreams and Cornelius and denying Jesus and walking on water and all the things. So I'm crucified was the first, second one to the tomb, all those things. Peter knew the prophecy of Jeremiah. He would have known this story. I know the plans I have for you. He would have known, build houses and all those things. So he writes to the first century church that is having a really hard time. A lot of things, the wheels have come off in the culture, if that sounds familiar to anybody. Very few things can be depended upon. Systems seem to be undermined and corrupt and exploited. Does that sound familiar to anybody here? This is the world in which we live. So I think it can be useful to remind us today. And the first thing he says in verse 11 of chapter 2, we're just going to say, Lord, can you show us what you have to say? Dear friends, he says, I urge you, as what? You can say it out loud. As strangers and as exiles. As people who don't seem to belong. You ever had something so terrible happen? We've had that happen this week in our church. It's just so terrible. And you just can't figure out how it fits. And it makes you feel so distant and conflicted and disconnected from how we're supposed to enjoy anything here and yet have a grief or something like this. And what Paul's reminding us is the reason it feels like this is because this is, this is not where we belong. He's not trying to make the world a place where we belong. He's trying to make us a people who belong to God. So he says, dear friends, imagine him saying, dear friends and sojourners, as sojourners, people who are passing through this space for 70 years, like in, uh, in Babylon or 90 years or whatever years we have, who are passing through as exiles, abstain from these fleshly desires, this pull to make the world our home because they do what? They wage war against your soul. If we, don't, if we think we belong here, the war is going to be to make this place suitable for our belonging. And it doesn't mean we disregard it. In fact, it's just the opposite. It's you build, you settle in. In fact, he's what he's going to say here. You don't retreat and go, oh, you know, the world can just, well, you care about things. 
You care deeply about things. We enter in, verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of wrongdoing, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Now, I know a lot of people roll up their sleeves and go, yeah, I'm gonna prove you wrong. This isn't about proving anything. And if you think that you're not following Jesus, Peter would have heard Jesus say something like, you are the light of the world. He would have known what Jesus would have said about, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This isn't about trying to prove that someone is wrong in their accusations of you, but rather preparing a way for the Lord to be his people, to bring his redemption to the world around us. And then he goes on. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. I've been doing politics long enough to hear people on both sides say, that's not my president. If you are a follower of Jesus, you should never say that. You shouldn't. Because you're buying into something that is a way in which you and I haven't been intended to live. Like, so what do we do with this? It says very clearly here. How do we participate? Right, how do we participate? There's, there's a vision for how you and I are to participate in the world, to walk in a manner worthy of his image. He goes on and says this, to live as free people. Do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. We live as God's slaves, as his servants. And this language is very intentional. We don't live to prove others wrong. We don't use passive-aggressive tactics. We don't intentionally misrepresent people or dismiss people. And you know how tempting this is, right? Like, I, I want to. If you disagree with me, I want to dismiss you just like that. That's my default. That's the world I live in. We don't do that. We listen, we get curious, we love, we value. This stuff matters because of what is happening in our culture. I've been writing a lot about race, I've been writing a lot about abortion, I've been writing a lot about a lot of things, and it's terrible on both sides. It's because both sides are two sides of the same coin in the wrong system. You and I have to learn how to see differently as strangers and sojourners and exiles. We do not give in to the kind of desires that pull us in because these wage war for our soul. Don't use your freedom or your smarts or your cleverness to pit somebody in a corner or to pit people against each other. There's enough of that. This is about our motives, your motives, my motives, and our actions. And then he concludes with this. This is unbelievable. I'm like, Peter, could you not have done better than this? Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. 
Aren't you glad we don't have an emperor so we don't have to pay any attention to that? What might God have to say to us? Right, what might he have to say to us? You want me to tell you, don't you? I'm not. We're going to learn this together. We're going to seek. We're going to ask. We're going to knock. Y'all recognize there's like a whole other political season about to start that about pulled everything apart two years ago. Now, this is an opportunity for us to live as people who belong to the Lord, who are seeking the welfare of this place in which we inhabit for a short period of time. Listen, you work hard to produce and to love, to cooperate and to participate well in the world around us. But we do so as those who don't belong here because we belong to God. We belong to God. So how can you and I offer ourselves? You just have to ask yourself that question. How can I offer myself? How is it that you are participating? Are you participating well? Are you participating at all? Have you just said, ah, forget them all? Like what's happening in you and in me and in us to be the kind of presence, the light and the yeast and all the things that God uses to affect the culture? How might God want to shape your desire to belong here? I've got it. So that we learn to belong to him. How might God want to shape your call to contribute, to offer, to extend what you do with your hands, with your mind, with your you know, body to the world? So the way I want to close is the way kind of Peter begins to close his book. I'm going to invite you all to stand together. I want us to hear this. I want us to pay particular attention to this. I'm just going to read it. And this is sort of our prayer and our benediction to say, God, could you, could you do this in us? And Peter continues in his letter and he says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, underneath God's mighty right hand, that he may lift you up when his time is right. And cast all of your cares upon him, because he cares for you. Father, could we, could we trust you to sort all that we have sort of unpacked this morning. All of us have perspectives that are probably very accurate. It affects how we see the world around us. It affects how we see people who disagree with us, people who we disagree with. It affects all of those things. But Father, could we submit ourselves to you to say, what would you say to us that we might be 
more unified, a more beautiful expression of your people in this world without being sucked into it. Father, would you use the work of our hands to bring dignity and worth and value to the people that we come in contact with? Father, in, in that process, would you continue to give us a deeper faith, to trust that your promise of redemption in this world is unshakable. Father, you are building us in to a beacon of that promise. Father, thank you for allowing us to be a part, and I ask that we would, you would help us to be faithful in our participation. And I lift all of this to you, in the name of our, your son, Jesus Christ, who is our King. Amen. Hey, thank you guys so much for being here this morning. Happy Mother's Day to all of our moms. We look forward to seeing you guys uh, next week.